0: Father, um, we need you. We love you. I ask that we would experience the reality of who you are. I pray today that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend and feet that are willing to be obedient. May your word bring life today in Jesus name. Amen. I was thinking about telling a joke this morning, but I'm not really good with jokes. So really a good thing that I am good at is making fun of myself. And um, a couple weeks ago, we were in our before church Bible study. And Lloyd Kurtz, um, he was saying, you know what, I'm just so blessed and so thankful for what God's been doing in worship. And I asked him, I said, Lloyd, what do you like, like, How was God moving? You know, what did you feel? And with the best innocence, he said, well, you didn't get to preach. (laughs) Thanks, Lloyd. (laughs) And Bob Ravenstein was like, wow, that's how it is. So Lloyd roasted me without intentionally meaning to, and I knew what he meant. Um, But um, Lloyd, today God wants me to preach, so... All right. Nevertheless, we are in the book of Revelation. All right, I think I'm ready. We're in the book of Revelation. We have been journeying through this, I believe, since September. So it's been a long, long journey. And we're getting closer to the end. So um, last week we finished chapter 14. And this week, we will be in chapters 15 and 16. And what we're seeing is through the book of Revelation, God is directing the redemption of the earth and his plan. We're seeing that his wrath is coming against anything that opposes him. And there's been a theme throughout the book of Revelation, and there's been a theme throughout the Bible that God's people Do not experience his wrath, but the world does. So that's one of the issues when people think about tribulation. Tribulation, God is not sending his wrath against his people. During tribulation, the enemy is released and given authority, and the enemy comes against God's people. But this is all leading to, all of Revelation is leading to what is often heard as Judgment Day. Judgment Day is talked about in other books of the Bible. Joel 1, Zephaniah 1, Malachi 4, Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 2, handful of other chapters in books. Yet here in Revelation 15 and 16, that day has come. Judgment has come. Judgment is scary, and what's unique is talking to some of you, not many of you, but in our small group, one of the things that came through is, they said, when I leave church on Sunday, I get depressed about the future. Every Sunday? No, just when you talk about what the atmosphere is going to look like, the trees burning up, and the oceans turning into blood. That's not exciting for grandkids or great-great-grandkids. And it depends on how you think about it, right? Do I put my trust in Jesus and my hope in heaven or do I put my trust in the way that I want the world to be? As we've heard before, those who desire to keep their life will lose it. Or those willing to lose, sorry, those who are willing to lose their life for the sake of Christ will find it. But those who desire to keep their life will lose it. And there's, in all of us, when we see where this woke agenda is coming into the world, there's all of us who hate that and are frustrated with it and um, don't like where it's headed, right? But then there's hope Jesus is going to return. That's our hope. Our hope is not in having the, a perfect place during our reign here on earth. Our hope is in Jesus in Jesus alone, amen? So in the book of Revelation, there are three series of judgments. There's the sealed judgments that we've already approached. This was in Revelation six through eight. So we had conquest, we had warfare, we had famine and poverty. We had death of a fourth of the population. We had martyrdom, the earthquake. And then we had the introduction of the trumpet judgment. Then we had the trumpet judgment, which increased in judgment a little bit as well, or increased in power. And this is where people really started to get scared. So this was in Revelation 8.6 through 9.21. We had hail and fire and a third of the vegetation on earth will be destroyed. Um, How many of you guys love the Canadian smoke? That was an interesting experience, wasn't it? Some of you maybe couldn't breathe. Others of you did just fine. But here's what we did see. With a little bit of Canada catching on fire, it really changed our atmosphere here in Ohio. Did it not? Now imagine hail and fire and a third of the vegetation gone across the whole world. What do you think the atmosphere is going to look like during that time? Not something I want to be here for. So not only did that happen, hail and fire, something like a mountain hits the earth. A third of the sea life is gone. So sea life actually provides um, over 50% of the oxygen to the world. So now a third of that is gone. Imagine the atmosphere. Imagine the the, the warnings that weather.com will be giving us about the air quality. It will not be very good. Not only does that happen, a great star blazing like a torch comes down. A third of the fresh water is now gone. The sun was struck. Darkness hits the earth and the days are shorter. And all that is pretty scary. But maybe the scariest piece would be these demonic locusts that come out and torture people. And then... After that, demonic beings released from the Euphrates, and a third of mankind are killed. And this was the trumpet judgments. And then we have the introduction to the bowls. So as we get into chapters 15 and 16, we see the bowl judgments. And we'll just kind of go through them quickly, give the list like we have. But Revelation, um, it'll be Revelation 16, 1 through 21. There's festering sores, death of all the sea life, fresh water turned into blood, people uh, were scorched by the sun, darkness and misery, and the earth's military gathering for war. It's really unique to think that the earth's military is going to gather for war against God. They don't stand a chance, do they? And then what will end up happening is the most destructive earthquake man has ever seen, and it will be a, um, there will be hail that's a hundred pounds, weighing a hundred po- pounds coming down from Earth. That'll be crazy—a hundred-pound hail. Some of us can't even lift a hundred pounds, right? So. What we're seeing today is the bold judgments. But first, let's get to chapter 15. Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is complete. So John sees another great sign. And with these... Or with this sign, seven angels, which represents the seven last plagues. This means that the end is here. Can we be excited about the end? But here's what we have to recognize is during the end, and for all of time, as I've been saying, God's people will worship him. You and I were created to worship him. Now, worshiping him has many aspects. Offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, right? And everything we do, we do it unto him, to the best of our abilities. That's worship. But worship is also when we sing songs of adoration and praise to him. And for the rest of eternity, we are beings, and we've been created beings to sing. I'm not a very good singer. Um, Most of you are probably way better than me. But we've been created to sing. Verse 2, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image, and over the number of its name, they held they held harps, given them by God, and sang the song of God's servant Moses, and of the Lamb. There was this time once when we were in youth ministry, down in Dayton, and I think we ended up going to watch Dayton Christian play football, and then afterwards we all went back to the youth room and we hung out, and um, we had some kids who could play instruments. But I had no clue how to play any instrument. And um, I got on the cajon and I started cajoning away. Thinking I'm keeping a beat, right? Martin's laughing at me. He should be. And I'm just cajoning away and I didn't care, right? If you don't know what the cajon is, it's the little box that you sit on and you play the drums with it. So I'm beating in the spirit this box because we're trying to honor God. There was another time, one of our small groups here at the church, uh, we didn't have any instruments to play. So we ended up getting pots and pans and trying to figure out ways to play music unto God with pots and pans. Really funny, you guys can laugh at that. But there was a zeal, there was a passion within our hearts that our God is so big that we want to find ways to worship him. So what I do know is, um, if I'm ever handed a harp in heaven, God better do something, he better impart pretty quick. If not, the only way it's gonna be a joyful noise to him is because there might be a purity of heart, right? Because I'm not gonna be very good at it. The point here is this, is that we're created for worship. When we go to heaven, we're going to be worshiping. Now, it's not, All that we're going to be doing in heaven. So, here what we see happening in verses two and three is God's people, those who didn't receive the mark of the beast, they stand beside the sea victoriously and they're given instruments to play and they'll sing songs. And the song goes like this Great and marvelous are your deeds. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So they're going to be singing. We're going to be singing. God's people were created for worship. Here's what we have to note about their song, though: is they didn't sing about their victory. Their worship wasn't about them. Their worship wasn't about what God had done for them in this moment. What they sang of is they sang of His goodness. And here, what we see happening in the book of Revelation is all nations will come and sing of how great he is. We will sing praises to him, and we will declare how great he is. Do you sing songs of praise to him? Does your heart cry out how good he is? Can you declare how good he is in your life today? Because praise is a part of the Christian Walk. Amen. As we continue, though, as this worship scene is happening, God's people are praising him for how good he is. God begins to pour out his wrath. Verse 5. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who live forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. There's something about smoke and God's glory. There's something about smoke and God's wrath. There was a time um, when the elders of the church, whatever, 13, 14 years ago, maybe recognized a call in my life. And uh, Pastor Lyndon provided me an opportunity to share 15, 20 minutes, and um, while I was sharing, a weird thing happened in my mind's eye, so I think in the spirit, I saw a cloud over the congregation. There was some kind of fire over the congregation, and um, it was smoke. It was just smoke. I'm I'm preaching here, but over the whole congregation, I saw this smoke. Like, man, that's weird. What, What is going on? I didn't realize it. 14 years ago, I knew a whole lot less than I do now, right? And at the end of the message, I ended up providing this opportunity for the congregation to respond. And um, I provided this opportunity, and it was like 98% of the congregation responded at the altar. Now, I'll tell you this. It wasn't because the message was good. It wasn't because the message was crafty. It wasn't because it was expositorily good or well-organized. It was because God was doing something and God showed up in smoke. There was the smoke over the congregation. And I started to recognize somehow God's Shekinah glory appeared here. So there's something about smoke in God's glory, according to scripture. There's something about smoke and God's wrath. So when God made a covenant with Abraham... He passed through divided pieces of sacrifice with with a smoking fire pot and burning torch. You can see that in Genesis 15. When Moses received God's law, God revealed his holiness with fire and smoke in Exodus 19. God's presence was symbolized with smoke and fire in Exodus after Israel placed the ark in the tabernacle. And Solomon's temple was filled with God's glory like a cloud in 1 Kings. One author says this, God's glory is always manifest during the time of his judgment. Smoke from God's glory made entering the temple impossible, impossible until seeing indignation was poured out, until seething indignation was poured out. What a sign to the ungodly people on the earth who chose to shun the worship of a holy God and to follow the beast. So now, since no one can enter the temple unless the seven plagues were completed, the angels are sent out. So these angels are sent out to complete this judgment. These plagues are similar to those during the book of Exodus. And they're also similar to the trumpet judgment. Now, some people, when it comes to the judgment, some people think that these judgments, the three of them are the same judgments from a different perspective. Other people believe that these are different judgments increasing in nature, increasing in the wrath. That's where I lean today but not a hill I'm going to die on. I pray that we're not here, amen? So these plagues are similar, but they're also different. Um, So here's where he starts out, chapter 16. God will send illness. Verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. So the first angel will bring sores sent by God. Um, I don't want sores, Amen. So, this is similar to the plagues that we see in Exodus 9 9 through 11. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So, they took uh, soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. So these boils will break out on all those who receive the mark of the beast and worship its image. Now the importance of this is it's easy for us to say right now, well, I'm not going to receive the mark of the beast. Like if we asked you today, you would say, I'm not going to receive it. But what we learned in chapter 13 is there's going to be a deceit that comes over the world. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to perform miracles that look a lot like what Jesus did. Resurrect the grave, fire from heaven, um, speak life into an image and it come to life have many followers. And then what the end of chapter 13 tells us is it calls for wisdom, so be discerning. So we have to be mindful of that. Job 2, verse 7, also the plague was like this. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. God's wrath. Is going to come to people who receive the mark of the beast. Yet what we have learned throughout this whole book is believers will be protected from God's wrath. Zechariah 14, 12. This is the plague uh, with which the Lord will strike all nations that fought against Jerusalem. This is the plague that which the Lord will strike all nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. So who does this happen to? Those who fight against God. Are you fighting against God today? I don't think we are. I I, I think we're believers in here today. I think we're covered by the blood But what we have to realize is we can't selfishly just think about ourselves. There's people. There's people that um, this might happen to or this will happen to, not might. So that was the first angel bringing sores. With the second angel, God will completely destroy the seas the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. So a third of the sea was already destroyed, but now everything in the sea is dead. Nothing left. So it's said that the ocean covers 70% of the earth. Over 70%, right? The ocean is large. So it covers over 70% of the earth that's all going to be dead. Now, it won't necessarily turn red like blood, but it will be foul and sick like that of a dead person. That's disgusting. That's scary. So the second angel will destroy the seas. With the third angel, God will pollute the fresh waters. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments. O holy one, you who are and who were, for they were For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Water during this time will already be limited. So a third of the fresh water is destroyed. A third of this uh, sea was destroyed, and now, just right before this angel, all the uh, ocean is destroyed. So, a third of the water, fresh water, is destroyed. Now, all of the fresh water is gone. The springs of water and the rivers become blood. No way people will be able to live in this condition. So, then you ask, why would God allow this to happen? the um, family that we were able to talk to last night had some of these questions. They had some interesting perspectives of the Bible. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God do this? Um, Because no one could live in this. And what's interesting is he's doing this because he's redeeming back what the enemy stole or he's redeeming back what Adam and Eve gave up, the earth. Second, this isn't against uh, people who are sealed by Him. So this is against His people. This is against people who chose to be marked by the Beast. And then third, what's important out of, out of the Scripture, what's going on here, is we can trust Him. He He is fair and He is just. Psalm nineteen nine, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So when we ask this question, why would God allow this to happen? Well, their song to him is this, is, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God is true and just in everything that he does. Last week, what did we declare as a congregation? Try to declare, or was it two weeks ago? that you are perfect in all of your ways. And scripture is telling us here that even in the midst of the judgments that are coming, he is perfect in all of his ways. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. Are you able to say that today? With things that God has allowed to take place in your life, are you able to declare that, Lord, you are, you are firm in all of your ways? The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Can you declare that? Can you mean that from the depths of your soul? With the fourth angel, God will torment unrepentant sinners. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun And the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. This isn't the Sunday school God that we teach, is it? Actually, that's what Jonathan is teaching this message to your kids right now. The beginning of all wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. The sun is enabled to be able to scorch us. The first few bowls were poured out on the earth. Now this one is poured out on the sun, though. Now stay with me. Many people, what they end up doing is, uh, scientists right now, they're projecting on the green bill and global warming I believe that we're allowed to be in um, certain just cycles of the earth. I do not believe in global warming. Now, scientists will be proven right one day about global warming. Scientists will be proven right about the atmosphere. Here's what I do believe is the spirit of the Antichrist, the devil who knows the Bible, who understands Scripture is projecting with global warming what will happen in the end. And what they're doing is they're, uh, I believe, that the green bill and everything else going on is a way for more power. Because it's never, look, if it's just about recycling your cans, fine. But within all these bills, it's far greater um, things that are, the pork within the bill is far greater. So the green bill is to control and also deceive. And um, it's almost as if they're trying to get ahead of God's wrath. Yet nothing can stop what God has planned. So no no matter how many plastic bottles we recycle or cans we recycle or batteries we use instead of gas, right, no matter how much of that we do, this stuff will still happen. The atmosphere will be burnt up. The sun will scorch people. The oceans will be destroyed. The fresh water will be destroyed. So, even what's unique, though, is through these first four plagues, through everything that they've seen, tribulation, guess what they do? They still have unrepentant hearts. Even when they see God's power on display, all they do is curse his name and harden their hearts. What's interesting is um, verse 9, they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. Why did they curse God? They recognize that God is in control. So they're frustrated that God would allow this, so they curse him. It, wasn't that, it doesn't appear as if they were atheist at this point or agnostic. What they were is they were cursing God. They see that he's in control. And in spite of seeing and knowing that's in control, they cursed him. How many of us today are cursing God because things are not going our way? When things don't go our way, do we double down and stick our feet into the ground and say, God, I'm not going to move until you fix this? Or do we soften our hearts and repent of our sins and ask Him to lead us? When things don't go our way, when God allows things to happen in our life, it's not our job to point a finger at Him, it's our job to repent and humble our hearts. These people doubled down though. The hard reality that we have to consider is God has been really patient with us. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But we see that as something we can take advantage of. We see his patience at something we just, um, tomorrow is promised, right? 20 years from now is promised. So we take advantage of his patience. But what we, uh, but what we see, um, yeah, we see it as something we can take advantage of. And today and in the future, God provides people opportunities to repent. Yet people in the future harden their heart. And people today harden their heart. They double down and they don't repent. I see a generation of people who willfully disregard God so that they can live their own ways. And again, um, the idea that is if you see God's power, you will follow him is a lie. If you think that if you see God's power and you will follow Him, you're deceived. Because these people, these unbelievers here in the book of Revelation, they see God's power on display very powerfully and they still deny Him and they still curse Him. So we need to quit, quit living that if God would just do something, then we would follow Him. We will follow Him when we repent of sin. And we will follow him when we repent of pride. So I ask, will you repent today? Will you give up your own will and follow him? With the fifth angel. God will destroy the kingdom of the antichrist. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. So they are thrown into complete darkness. Um, I'd imagine this is literal, physical, spiritual, and clearly economical. There's not a lot going for the world right now. But repentance here is brought up twice Within two verses, they refuse to repent. Repentance is paramount. So they're thrown into this complete darkness. They are mad at God because he isn't serving them. He isn't following them and doing everything that they wish. And at a smaller level, as believers, we have this same spirit. We get mad at God because he doesn't serve us the way that we want. Why didn't I get this job? Why can't I get this house? Why am I sick? Why did my dog have to die? Why is my friend sick? Why didn't we get the presidential candidate that we wanted? Or maybe you did. I don't know. I just want Jesus. I just want to follow him, right? Take politics out. Whatever it is, we get mad at God. So we have this same spirit because he isn't serving us. So they are mad at God because things aren't going their way. Again, they were mad at God because they loved their sin. So they never repented. When things, um, yeah, when God allows these hard things to happen, and God put his thumb on them, they turned away from him. What sins of pride do you have in your life that are making you double down? God wants to set you free today. God wants to set us free today. God wanted to set these people free. But what ends up happening? They double down. So I ask you, will you today Give up your ways and follow him. With the sixth angel, as we're wrapping up, with the sixth angel, God will gather his enemies for a final battle. These things are going to happen. The things that are being read today will happen. Verse 12 The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs. They will go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Verse 15, look, I have come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to, play, to a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So we talked about the river of Euphrates, the Euphrates River, several weeks ago, and how. Uh, Many people are saying that it is drying up in a lot of places. So this river now, uh, the river, because it's so large, you guys should remember the picture, it served as protection. It served as a life source. And now this river is dried up. It's um, preparing for the kings from the east And many have said, when the river dries up, it's going to be like a highway. Easily, uh, you can travel on it pretty easy. You can cross it however you like. Now, with these kings, they will be partnered with three impure spirits that look like frogs. How many of you guys like frogs now? You're never going to see frogs the same, will you? So these frogs, they are demonic spirits that will perform miracles and signs and they will gather all the great rulers of the earth for this battle against God. Again, it's been a theme over the past several weeks. The theme is this, is we can't just follow someone or something because of a sign or a miracle. The enemy will perform miracles And if we just want to follow miracles, then we're going to be deceived. Amen? So when we're watching YouTube and someone's just like, I performed all these miracles, it doesn't mean that they're godly or they're not. They could be godly. They might not be godly. But the reason why we would follow their teachings is because biblically they are correct. Amen? Not because they just have charisma and power. So these demons... um, that appear as frogs will have power. And um, yeah, with them will be the impure spirits that look like frogs. They will perform miracles. But guess what they will also do in this battle? They will lose. The demons and this battle of collected of all the earth's people, they will lose. And that's that's good news, is it not? But God changes up a little bit here Um, how he's having John share. Verse 15, changes it up just a little bit. Look, I've come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Now, many interpret this as we won't know when Jesus is coming back, because he's coming like a thief. But I think the heart of what's being presented here is Don't let him come like a thief. Be prepared. Be ready for him. Because if you know a thief is coming, what are you going to do? You're going to be prepared. So, what's what's being asked of us here, what's being encouraged of us here, is to be ready. The heart of this is to not be surprised. Don't fall for the spiritual lies that have come. Be ready in season and out of season for the return of Jesus. Amen? Now with the seventh angel as we wrap up today, God gives sinners what they deserve. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake, no earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away from the mountains, could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on the account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. An earthquake as big as it has ever been. We're going to feel it here in Ohio. In Mechanicsburg, actually, over the past several years, we have felt some. You know, over the past 15 years, just a little bit, nothing major, right? But an earthquake like the earth has never seen. Hail weighing 100 pounds, hitting people and destroying them. Many people will die. So you say, how is this Positive. You're like, well, number one, I didn't make up the scriptures, right? So all scripture is um, relevant. So, how is this positive? How do we walk out of here encouraged? Well, the way we walk out of here encouraged is this we know that when this happens, it is done, it is complete. There's no more sickness, there's no more death, there's no more cancer. There's no more bullying. There's no more debate on what sin is. There's no more wokeness. There's no more control. We get to be in paradise with Jesus forever. And that's something to look forward to. But there is something about spiritual maturity where we have to face this type of confrontation, of a hump, um a healthy dose of fear and trembling before God. We have to be able to wrestle through some of these frustrating things that are going to happen even though they're scary. So it's positive because it is finished when these things happen. Very soon in the book of Revelation, he's going to make all things new. We get a walk with him in paradise. The new heaven and the new earth will be created, and we could be set free for eternity. That's something that's exciting. But with that being said, um, there should be an urgency within, the, within us to share the good news of Jesus with people. If you and I will not experience this, good. But remember in Ezekiel 16, what was it, verse 49? It says, your sister Sodom was destroyed because of several things. And one of the reasons why Sodom was destroyed is because she was unconcerned. Are you unconcerned today? Sodom was destroyed because, in peace, she was unconcerned. She was unconcerned with the people at Walmart. Walmart. She was unconcerned with the people at Kroger. She was unconcerned with her co workers and her neighbors. She was unconcerned with the prayer request. She was unconcerned with uh, abortions. She was unconcerned with scripture. You want to know why? Because she had to get home and watch Netflix. She had to get home and serve herself. Because if she became concerned, that would mean that her life would have to change. She'd have to surrender and give up some things that she idolized. So I ask you today, are you unconcerned? How can, we, how can we experience this fear of what's going to come, understand that we get to escape it because of the blood of Jesus, but then not with urgency share about how to be united with Christ forever? There's been a season where I've been burnt out and unconcerned, right? I think COVID did that to a lot of people. I think before COVID, I I think it's just people too. It doesn't have to be COVID. You know, in in church land, everything's the devil's fault. And now in the world, everything's COVID's fault. So I don't wanna say that either. So it's not the devil's fault, it's not COVID's fault either. But there is an awakening, right? In the end of time, many hearts will grow cold. And, and I recognize where right? I had to fight every day against my heart growing cold. And uh, yesterday, Macy and I were at Meijer. And while we're at Meijer, um, we needed uh, just a couple more glass bowls for storing some food. And we got these glass bowls. And then while we're... Um, walking through. She wanted, a, she wanted a new spoon for cooking, and we went and looked, and they didn't have what she needed. So then we're just kind of cutting through, like, the clothes area, and then we passed this couple. And when we walked past this couple, my heart absolutely broke, and I became weak inside. Not something that I picked or chose. Um, actually, the day started late. I wanted to get home and get a few things done. So we walked past this couple. My heart absolutely broke, and I kept on walking. I'm like, God, is that you? And then I always ask myself, if, if I leave and I don't go say something, then will I be thinking about this the rest of the day? And we kept on walking, and we kept on walking, and then I started to slow down. And then Macy starts to look at me funny. And then I say, Macy, uh, I need to go back and say something to a couple. She's like, I wonder what you're doing. You don't like looking at stuff. And you're over here galivant and like you're looking at whatever, whatever, what aisle were we in? Candles. I try to avoid the candle aisle, and now I'm slowing down. So I'm gallivanting in the candle aisle. I'm like, Macy, I have to go say something to this couple. There has to be an urgency for us to minister the love and the blood of Jesus to the world. If not, we're Sodom. We're unconcerned. So, not that I do it perfect every time, um, if I did, you'd hear me testifying every week, right? So what I did is I turned around, and I'm nervous. It's scary. Just because I have a title of pastor doesn't make it easy. I turn around, and I'm sure my voice was crackling. And I just went up and I said, hey, I know this is random. And I explained what I felt. When I walked past you guys, I felt the grace of God, and I felt the love of God. And I felt the nearness of him to you. And I said, I feel like what God's saying is whatever's going on in your life that he hasn't left you and he's not forsaking you and that he's been there and it's going to be okay. And the woman, I don't know if it was wife, girlfriend, sister, whatever, the woman started to cry. And I started to push a little bit because I'm seeing God move and I said, so is there anything that I can pray for you about? Is there anything going on that I can help you with? And, um, Male, he thought, like, my eyes couldn't see what was going on. He started to step on her toe like this. Like, we got to get out of here, woman. She's weeping. She's being ministered to. He's stepping on her, and I clearly see the signal. I mean, I ain't blind. I clearly see the signal. He shook my hand. And this is all literally 45 seconds. This isn't like long-winded Joey. We're sitting there for 30 minutes. This is all within 45 seconds. So I just said, Jesus loves you. And what today is about is Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And then they walked off. You can speculate what was going on. Who knows, right? I will go where you go. I will stay where you stay. Wherever you lead me, I want to be there. Amen. I didn't want to be there yesterday. I didn't want to go talk to a random couple. I didn't want to stay out until 11 or 11.30 while fireworks are going off. But can we have this urgency? Because as we read the book of Revelation, we have to understand the wrath that is coming to the world. And if as believers who are born again, if we cannot muster up some kind of preaching of the good news, um... I think we're unconcerned and we need to repent. It's not about works, not about earning your way to heaven. It's about loving the people next to you and caring about them not facing this wrath. Statistically speaking, one of our descendants will be here at the end. Statistically speaking, some of our friends and family members are going to hell. Because what does scripture say? Many people live on the wide road and enter through the open gate that leads to hell. Let's pray. Father, um, your power is on display today. Your power was on display yesterday and at creation. And your power is going to be on display like we have never seen at the end. I pray that today that you would give us a boldness to share your gospel and share your love. That we wouldn't lead our lives, but we would follow you. That we would be urgent about following you. Not that every person that we walk past, Father, that we have to um, tell them to repent and turn to you, but we would have this relationship with you that when you knock on our door, we would answer. May we fall deeper in love with you. And as we fall deeper in love with you, may we be more obedient. I don't love how it looks in the end, Father, but I trust you. May we trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen.